Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to Cult Talk with Aaron Martin, a conversation, not an investigation. Cult Talk is a podcast that explores the realities of cult life, how they operate, who joins them, why people stay, and how some members eventually find their way out. Season one of Cult Talk will focus on a little-known cult called the Kobu, which stands for the Church of Bible Understanding, led by Stuart Trail. In this fourth episode of Cult Talk, my mom and dad decide to leave Kobu. However, it's not the only time they leave. They actually go back. She talks about the first time they left, how they did it, how scary it was, what their life was like in the year that they did live apart from the group, why they went back, and ultimately, when she went on a mission trip to Haiti with Stuart, how that was really the final nail in the coffin of belonging to this group, which ultimately forced my mom and dad to take me and leave Kobu for good. Okay, so mom, we were talking about how you actually left Co- the Kobu twice. The first time was when I was right. two years old. And then the second time was when I was like three and a half or something. Right. So the first time there wasn't like an exact turning point. It was just dad was exhausted from working all the time. Right. What What happened? You guys just decided we're, we're out of here? Yeah. I remember it was a little scary. I can't remember the exact reason. It probably was just a... A lot of reasons. Right. Did you tell anyone? No, I hadn't told anyone. And we were really close to people there. Some of our best friends and some of our friends that we still have now. But that's typical in a cult mentality. You can't even tell your best friends. No, you can't. Because first, then they're going to be stuck with, do I tell somebody or not? Yeah. And then if I knew, then, you know, I'm going to be at one of these meetings being berated for hour after hour after hour, which is the thing that everybody spent their life trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. We, when you had asked me if they got pay, I think they used to get envelopes of pay. I remember telling you mean you the men working the men, in the yeah. carpet cleaning. Okay. I don't think it was a lot. I, I couldn't even tell you. This is so long ago. But um, the articles I read said it was like 10 or $20 a week, if that. Yes. And I don't know if he saved it up 
up. I don't know what the deal was. You mean dad? Yes. Yeah. Back then, people in uh, like Manhattan or the five boroughs of New York, a lot of them are snowbirds. They go to Florida. Mm -hmm. Ray, your dad, had lots of family in Florida. He had lived there in Safety Harbor, which is right across from Tampa. And he said, I'm going to get a car. I found a woman. So he had really checked this out. And uh, people used to put their cars on the train and then they would fly down because they didn't want to drive because most of them are retired and shouldn't even be driving. And um, he found this woman who paid him to drive her car to Florida. Okay. So that was the escape plan. Yes. Mm -hmm. So he suddenly has this car and he takes uh, me and you to an all night diner, which I look back now in the middle of Manhattan in New York City, and I'm sure it wasn't a nice, but it was a nice diner. And you and I sat there <laughs> and the waitress was super nice. It was like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. I mean, it was late because he had done this whole thing with the arrangements. And then we waited and waited. And I guess he had gone back to the loft and you had a playpen. Back in that day, they're like pack and plays with the netting and stuff, but they were twice as big. They yeah. were huge. Well, we had one of those and he took everything, which isn't a lot, you know, because you didn't have a lot of furniture. You had a mattress, maybe a bureau or so, you know, and he took everything and just dumped it in there and folded it up. And evidently, um, a lot of people were like, what are you doing? Why are you going? And, you know, his best friend, you know, just trying to talk him out of it and what's wrong, which most of them were probably like, take me with you. Seriously. <laughs> oh, yeah. But they're, 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 the party line was they had to you talk to you into staying. Right. And you were backsliding right. as a Christian or right. whatever, if you were yeah. leaving. Oh, if you left there, you were leaving God, which right. is so ridiculous. Which is part of the guilt trip mind control. Yeah, the whole rest of the world is wrong and you idiots, you know, who are all here, you know, right. I, I was an idiot. Only I mean, we who are sleeping on the mattresses. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the are floor. the smart ones. Yeah. <laughs> we're the smart ones. But he didn't listen. He just no, he he didn't fight with anyone. He just kept walking. I wasn't there, but this is what he told me. He pulled up at the diner. I was so relieved because I full on expected them to talk to somebody else pulling up to the diner and being like, oh, right. Yeah. He just took off. Stuart pulling He's up to upset. the diner. Yeah. Oh, he wouldn't have. He was, you know, in his ivory tower somewhere. But he pulled up and, you know, we had eaten and we left and we drove and drove and drove and we got to North Carolina and we stayed overnight and then ended up going to Florida and where the car was delivered was down by Hollywood, Florida, which is a Fort Lauderdale area yeah. where we were staying was on the opposite coast. So he and his best friend and his wife, who was uh, your dad's cousin, he and his best friend took the car and drove it over to the, the woman and his friend followed him, brought it back. And we were down there. We got jobs. We uh, rented a little house right down the street from his grandmother, right down the street from his dad. He had two uncles and his best friend. I mean, we were totally surrounded by family and it was fine. And we, and I didn't feel weird or, you know, because I didn't leave God. So you didn't feel like guilty or anything. I'm leaving. sure if I had had to talk to them every day because you can't run out of excuses because they they equate all the verses in the Bible that have anything to do with not believing or leaving or, you know, any kind of thing like that. They equate that. If you're doing it to the Kobu, then you're doing it to God. Right. Which is so not true. You know? Right. It's, it makes it sound so finite. And it's so silly. But and dad didn't feel guilty or anything. He was just like, I'm done with this. Yes. 
and I, I wait, I think he was a little lost. We both were, but I mean, we had family, we had people around, you know, some, some of them were Christians and, you know, and we were young. So you're super flexible when mm-hmm. you're young. So things were going good. We both had jobs and then he ended up getting a, a better job. We were waiter and waitressing, but we were doing it at this place where the tips were phenomenal and you did it as a team. So that worked out. We bought a car. It was a used car, but it was a nice car. Things were going along and we were down there. That was in 76 because the um, bicentennial had just happened in New York and the tall ships in the harbor and that whole thing. So it was that summer. So you turned two that fall. So it was about a year. I I don't know the exact time. You know, when you're younger, it feels a lot longer. But I don't know how it happened. But I think Ray's best friend and our best friends called him at his grandmother's. I think he knew the number or something. And he started talking to him. And and this is the old thing. Things are so much better. Everybody's really happy and blah, blah, blah. And we don't all live there. You know, we live in a, have our own apartment in a three apartment building in Brooklyn and we love it. And, you know, you get to be just a family in your apartment and you have meetings, but you don't have to go into the city and have these big meetings anymore and stay up all night and blah, blah, blah. And we were like, well, you know, maybe we should. And I remember his cousin, who was married to his best friend, they were like, are you sure you want to do this? And we were like, yeah, we, you know, we miss our friends. And so... We packed up the car that we had purchased and we drove back up. Oh my God. I know. Do you think it was mostly because you missed that community? I do. Not the idea. I didn't feel guilty. Yeah. Okay. Because when we got back, which the funny thing is, is this is how wild people were borrowing the car. I don't think the car lasted three months. It got wrecked. It got, I mean. Oh, the car that you bought became communal property. Yeah. Well, because you're re-entering communism, Mm -hmm. basically, once you re-enter that environment. It's like, what's yours is everyone's. Right. But when we got back, we did go to an apartment in Brooklyn. Okay. And we had the whole uh, apartment to ourselves. So you were out of that Manhattan training center. Yes. And the meetings weren't there anymore. Okay. Only a once in a blue moon, probably so Stuart could work on, you know, flying his plane and doing whatever he was doing. So we would have meetings just down the street. There were other people in the apartment building. There were other apartment buildings where people, you know, there were single apartments, like all girls or all guys. And, you know, so all those people equaled a group. And then we would meet just down the street in like a, a warehouse environment, but it had like an office and, you know, it was much happier because you weren't just under a microscope. Yeah. And weren't you put in charge of one of the houses? Of the girls, of the women. Any problems that they had, they could talk to me, Mm -hmm. problems with, you know, if they wanted to leave or, you know, issues um, because some of them had jobs. They liked somebody and didn't know what to do about it. You know, they they liked a guy or something and it just, you know. It's almost like being a dorm supervisor in a college (laughs) environment, but it's a a cult that you don't call a cult. You know, it's it's a different, it's a religious group or something, but it feels like a college-ish. Right. It was. But with whacked out rules right and things yeah I really liked it I'm but a you were like 23 person. yeah <laughs> yeah by then but by the so way gray. I'm gray now I should have been gray then <laughs> with everything going through that but I didn't feel like that you know I felt a lot older I guess but yeah um, and some of the people were older than me there were single moms there with kids older than you and and they were older than me but going back when we first came back I remember some people saying you know well you're back and you know and you had backslidden and I remember being adamant not not nasty, but I'm like, I didn't backslide. I wasn't here, but I did not backslide. You know, I have a relationship with God. And just to refresh, that's what Stuart called anyone who left the group because he thought that they were now 
not a true Christian. He called it backsliding. Correct. Okay. Because if you weren't there, you couldn't really serve God. Right. Everybody else was just... Because um, he had the only answer. Yeah, it was watered down Christianity. Okay. And you have to do it the way the disciples did it. Well, the disciples were loving and kind, Right. number one. And that was out the window. So I was adamant about that. So anyway, things settled down. And then Gail, who is now Stuart's wife, right. was in charge of going around to all the different houses, like in Brooklyn, Staten Island, and she would go to each meeting place, not necessarily the apartments, but the meeting place. And um, so she came to ours and she talked with all the sisters, you know, individually and us all together. And shockingly, she said, wow, everybody here is so happy. You're just doing something really right. And I remember thinking, yeah, I'm not like you. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, this is Christianity. Isn't yeah. it shockingly surprising without really going against the grain and, and saying, you know, Stuart's awful and this and that, like we just lived our life happily. You weren't all like calling each other out for being... Mm -mm. Not good enough no. or not, yeah. No. Okay. And just being understanding right. and kind and, you know, like normal things. Right. So would you say that most of the people who you were around at that time ended up leaving? Probably, like those happy people? Probably. Okay. And a lot of them were single. And I had that heart for that because I felt bad because a lot of them didn't have any close family members. They'd cut ties with everybody. And mm -hmm. They didn't really have anybody. And they weren't needy. They were lonely. It was like joining a family. Yeah. And came there and wanted that and weren't getting it. So it was, it went really well. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm like, okay, well, things are better. I remember being around a lot of kids then too. You well, had your birthday party at McDonald's. I remember that birthday yeah. party. Yeah. I mean, years ago, everybody would have been like, well, that's really of the flash. No, or, I, you know. I wondered about that. Like, I how did we manage? Managed to have a really cool birthday party at McDonald's. We just went and did it. <laughs> because I thought that would have been forbidden. Yeah, no. We, like, was it Ronald McDonald, like, of the devil? That was like, yeah, that was like your third birthday. Well, it was a little better because it was more loose that you weren't having to report and stand up and, you know, with Stuart every night in at the MTC, the Manhattan Training Center. Yeah, you were out in Brooklyn, which right. was better. And so there were a bunch of moms there, some of them single moms, some of them divorced, some with husband who were like... I remember being really fun and there being a lot of women and yeah. a lot of children yeah. Yeah. having a great time. But that, again, children's perspective, really right. small child's perspective right. is way different than exactly. what was happening. Well, and some of the... the um, I remember one... I can't even remember her name. That's awful. But um, she was a single woman. She'd been divorced for years. And her son was like eight or nine years old. And he was attending like... I mean, you had to attend the public school, you know, in Brooklyn. And he liked it. And things were going well. So, I mean, those, some of those people had to really be in society. Yeah, you right. Know, when you were babies, we're like, we can do anything. You know, we don't have to answer to the school board or, you know, whatever's going on, you know. So, you know, yeah. it was like everybody was growing up. Hello. That's what it feels like. Mm -hmm. It feels like the Kobu was all about young single people mm -hmm. or it, and it eventually became after 1979, just keeping people single forever, because otherwise you would start entering social institutions. You would start putting your kids in school. Right. You would need a different job to support a family mm -hmm. than just doing carpet cleaning and mm -hmm. living on a mattress. Right. And so that didn't work out for Stuart in the long run. And he ended up forbidding marriages, basically. Exactly. And families. Exactly. Because he knew he could keep this army of really slave labor. Right. If they were going to start to develop their own right. family right. units. So, and you have other priorities, like you were saying the yeah. last time about um, your child. Right. You know, suddenly it's something bigger is going on. Right. Not bigger than God, but bigger than this group. And the group didn't really have a purpose for a long time, but then it came up with this outreach mission for Haiti. Right. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I read a lot of research on this, what research there is, because the Kobu really, there is not a ton of information right. out there. It's a really under-researched cult. It is. But the idea was that Stuart landed on Haiti because they had such lax rules about how to set up nonprofits, and it was much easier to do there than he originally wanted to go to Russia, apparently. See, I didn't know that. And he wanted to send in planes to drop Christian pamphlets on Red Square. He was like, he's a crazy person. Yeah. But then he decided on Haiti because it was close. He could fly his plane there and they had really really easy like basically no red tape well and those were back in the days of papa doc right and then his son baby doc right and they just like as long as they had money they didn't care what was happening they didn't care what you did it was just a mess so you, but you were really heartened to hear about this new mission. Like was everybody because yes. you guys weren't really doing anything. No, everybody thought it was wonderful because you're working yourself to death and you're, you're going out and you're talking to people and witnessing, but like that was the end of it. It wasn't going anywhere. There's no purpose. There wasn't any purpose. The whole thing that you were going to actually care about somebody else meant that, oh my gosh, it's okay to love because they used to make fun of, there's a 13th chapter in Corinthians. I think it's the 13th. I'm not sure, but it was called the love chapter. Love is kind. Love is patient. Oh, the one read at weddings all the time. Yeah. And so Stuart would always make fun of that from when I first joined way back. Um, He'd call it the love chapter. We never studied it. We studied every book in the Bible. One thing I will say, I learned a lot about the Bible and now I know how it applies correctly. But I mean, a lot of verses, it was very helpful that way, but he made fun of that. Everybody's into the love chapter, you know. So, of course, then everybody else is parroting the same thing for right. years. So now we're going to help children in a country that really needed help, had a lot of orphans and no resources. So everybody's thrilled, which means that in the back of everyone's minds, they knew that's what they should be doing anyway right. and wondered what in the heck and why we weren't. But nobody said that. Right. So everybody was really happy, like, we're actually going to be like Christians, we're going right. to do some good works. And it was going to be Stuart who flew people down there in his plane. For the start, correct. Right, for the beginning. And he was going to set up orphanages. Correct. And now they're still going on, actually. Right. There's like four left or something. But this was just the very beginning. You were just going down there with the mission to just help whoever yes. needed it. Nothing had been no set up No organization. Yet. There were probably two trips 
before I went. Oh, I thought you went on the first mission. No, I didn't okay. go on the first one. They had to go down and get a house. And it had to be big enough to house like if three or four people came, plus Stuart and Gail. Um, so I think there were one or two missions. And then people would suggest when we had these meetings like once a week. And I don't remember. So somebody suggested me. Okay. And it you was- didn't have to, you weren't like, I volunteer as <laughs> tribute. No. Yes, exactly. I'm going to do my part. Uh, And I remember the girl, I don't like to name names, and I still remember her. And she's one of the women that went and she was married and had a little boy and she was so sweet. We, we, I haven't heard from her for years, but we were very close then. And she suggested me and everybody said, yep, that's great. And so. And Judy. Yeah. And wait, what, what did dad think though? I don't know. Because it's like... He doesn't get a say. Not really. I mean, if I said, well, I don't want to go, you know, my husband doesn't want me to. They didn't have a big thing about obey your husband because like supposedly all the men were idiots and weren't right with God and were always getting come down on, you know, same things that James... Yeah, right. Still going on. Right. Still going on. Stuart really wanted all the women to look at him as the only man. Even if you had husbands, it seemed like he's always making the men feel inferior so he can be the only man who people, who the women at least look at. Not that you did, but it seemed like that was his constant mindset. Right. Like these men are all losers. Right. And they need help, but you need to listen to me. Which is also the point going back to what you were saying, which is how you divide the family dynamic. Exactly. And that's what, that was perfect. Right. Because I don't really trust that person to leave with them. Right. You have to trust him to stay Correct. and be with your not so great husband, Correct. according to him. So he, so anyway, you decided to go. Right. Stuart, Stuart was the one flying. He flew the plane. The damn plane. Yeah. Oh my we God. went to Teaneck, New Jersey. Oh my God. I mean, he, here's all this money to, to keep this thing at Teaneck. And we went there. It was Stuart and Gail and this uh, other friend and myself and another single girl. And I knew her too. She was great. It's time to go. And we have everything. And Ray was back there with you. This is 1978? No. 77. 77. Okay. And and um, the sisters were there and all the kids, you know, and they take care of you. So we left. We stopped in Florida. And this is a small plane. This is like some Cessna that seats six or something. Right. You know, he knew what he was doing. I mean, obviously he had a license and stuff. So we stopped in Florida and we stayed there overnight. And even then I had this weird. I remember this so clearly. We were at a restaurant and Stuart used to tend if he, if I never went to the restaurant with him, nobody could. He, he always had money to go out to eat every night. He'd tell you stories about the waitresses and how he witnessed. It was ridiculous. We'd be like, oh, not even thinking, well, how come you're eating out and we're not? Mm-hmm. We're so dumb. We went to this restaurant and we all ordered and it was super busy because it was winter in Florida. I remember feeling just so uneasy and awful because this waiter kept coming back and saying, are you must finish? Cause he would sit there and just go on and on about just like orate. Yes. Captive audience. I think we were there for like three and a half hours. Oh my God. Now this kid who has this table only can make his living by turning the tables. And I knew that we had waitered and waitress, you know, not like I was the voice of experience at 23. Like, (laughs) let me tell you guys what's going on. And um, I just kept getting more uncomfortable and more uncomfortable, which is the normal way to react. So thank goodness, nobody else thought a thing of it. So I don't know if it was just something in me from just being raised, like to be polite or, you know, or like maybe you had a year out of the group that that's it. And you were back and it was like, I can't take this. I was like physically sweating. Oh my God. I would be too. It was, I wonder, but you don't feel like you can get up. No. And you can't do anything. We finally left there and honestly, for a fleeting moment, because it was such a horrible feeling. It was the feeling 
that I had had way before we had left the first time. And I'm like, it's back. Nothing's changed. It doesn't matter if we're going to Haiti. This guy's crazy. (laughs) Seriously. You were really thinking he's crazy. I almost called your dad's cousin and his wife to come pick me up over in Miami. You did? Yeah. But you just didn't ultimately. But I thought about it. I'm like, well, where I could leave the hotel room and go to the payphone. And like, I really thought about it. I think that's so common in the stories I've talked to other people about, you know, their stories. They say there's like several moments where they think I'm going to leave or these, but then they pass. That's hard. You can't, because you have to make a split second decision. It was. And I felt like I could hardly breathe when that was going on. It's just, and the whole thing came back and I'm like, oh my God. That whole feeling. Right. And I hadn't had that because I hadn't been around them. Right. We were sort of on our own and things were going good. And, you know, we um, refueled on some island, which is crazy because there's a plane down in a ditch upside down and they leave it there because there are no lights. There's a runway and there's a little hut that you pay for fuel and you can get water or something. The plane upside down crashed next to the runway. These people leave it there to remind people don't try and land at night because there's no lights. Oh my God. That's the truth. I saw it and the people... This is giving me like such Jonestown vibes too, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, did you know anything about the People's Temple or Jonestown at this point? They moved to Guyana. They were flying in and out of there on those weird airstrips too. And that whole massacre happened not even a year after your trip to Haiti. Right. It was like seven months. (laughs) No. But you didn't didn't, didn't know anything about that then? No. Okay. God. So, yeah, I mean, and I'm like... Wow, people live differently out here, you know? Yeah. So, so I'm with Stuart. Yeah. So we got to Haiti and there was a married couple who were already down there and her child was also still in Manhattan, but they were getting ready to go back and get her and bring her back. And um, the couple was down there and I know, he's mentioned in Jim's books. So he was a, an old timer like us. They're already there. So now there's five of us. So now there's seven of us. The house was super nice. Even back then, I know it wasn't cheap. It was a huge, beautiful house. Tons of rooms for everyone. And this wasn't when you, there was no orphanage yet. You were just doing outreach. We were doing outreach. Children only or everyone? No, everybody. We, we had, um, pamphlets that had like the, the, the picture, which everybody was happy with too. Finally, there's an old picture of, um, Jesus holding a staff and then holding a lamb. Mm-hmm. I, was, I remember those. Yes. And that was our, our pamphlet. And then, you know, so we had some, I think done in French because that's the mixture of the language there. And you spoke French. Yes. Well, I had forgotten it, but I had three years of it and it comes back to you really quickly. So it went really well. And then there was a Christian man from Haiti who lived there and would help us navigate the town and different areas and things like that. So he was like your liaison. Yeah. But basically our day consisted of we would go out and hand out flyers and you would find people like right there that needed something. And I remember one of the most horrific things, just to show you there is such a need, that this man had this ulcerated knee that you couldn't possibly... You see surgeries on TV that look better than this leg looked and he would just beg. And we went to him and talked to him about going to the hospital and he's like, no. And we're like, but look at your leg. And he said, no, he made more money begging with that awful looking leg than if he was healed and better. Right. How desperate is that? Yeah. So that was like the thing that shook me. And then we went into the hospitals 
and did, the, you know, handed out things or tried to help or, you know, tell them about our, our house. And we had a meeting place that we had right in, in town of Haiti. So you're trying to spread Christianity, like a, like a missionary style, yes, and it's but some, also were you feeding them or giving yes, them? the children. Okay. What we would do is we would invite people back. We had meetings at a small place in town where I learned some French and Haiti Christian songs. To put a quick thing in here, my aunt who passed away, I was at her house with my cousin in Massachusetts and she had a person who came in to care for her and she was from Haiti and I started singing that song and she had tears coming down and we sang both the songs together. Aww. It was so cool. Yeah. And that was just like um, in 2017, 2016. Yeah. And I never forgot those, you know, yeah. but anyway, so what we would do is we had those meetings and those were mostly for people to come in and because at some point, I guess down the road, you know, Stuart's plan was to have something there where he could funnel money through. Uh, yeah, yeah, evidently. Duh. We wanted to hire someone. There was a huge outdoor cooking area at this big, big house, which Haiti is very, I don't know how it is now. This is the seventies. We had this huge, beautiful home. And within a block, there was a dried out river where people were living in tents and lean-tos. Yeah. Like within eyesight, everybody just coexisted in this really odd, dramatically different environment, yeah. like on top of each other. Very strange. So we would go out to the hospitals and that was crazy. Where the women went into labor, you walked around outside or sat down in this dirt walled in, brick walled in lot. And when you felt like you were ready to deliver, you'd go knock on the window. Oh my God. And the doctor would come out. So then, because we talked to the doctors, how does this work? And they were, they were happy to talk to us and help. Was Stuart going out with you and, and helping people? And he, he did a lot of the driving. Okay. And, and I don't picture him. Yeah, but he would doing be doing other things. We were doing most of the talking with them. Right. With the uh, liaison, because of the language, I could do it a little bit. Right. But I, this is terrible, but I remember we were talking to a nurse and I looked at a, a cart that had like three levels. And on the second level, there was a baby who was deceased, like with a tag on it. Mm. And we're like, you know, like the baby Mort, the baby, you know, and she's like, mm -hmm. like, it's just, it's like, you can't believe it's just awful. It's terrible. So that was horrifying. But anyway, so then what we did is we wanted to um, start advertising that children could come to the, that big house to eat. And there was a huge outside like cooking area, mm -hmm. but nobody knew how to cook on fire, on a fire and in big pots and make like rice and beans and whatever it was that they liked and would nourish them. So we hired a Haitian woman and she'd come every day and just make these big pots and all these children would come and eat bowls of, you know, rice and beans. But there was nothing else really established at that point. Mm -hmm. And I was there about five or six weeks. Yeah, I remember you were gone for a long time. It was a long time. And it was I remember, and as a kid, you think you don't have a real sense of time, but I remember you f feeling like you were gone for like a year or so. It was way too long for the my friend who also was a mother yeah. and myself. We were really missing our kids and our family yeah. and, you know, and we had talked to people up there. Yep, they're doing good. And, you know, so you could call good. home. Well, or they would check in with Stuart. Oh, and geez. then if you wanted to call. Meanwhile, dad's up there like forming an escape plan. Yeah. And he, that's what he's told me. He was like, I didn't know that when I talked to him a few years ago, he was like, that's when I was like, I'm, I'm got to figure out how to get out of here. I don't know why. Right. He was just done at that right. point. So um, but meanwhile, you were down there and right. you had a turning point too. It was the same thing. And the same feeling that happened in that restaurant, the local, one of the local 
minister missionaries wanted to come by and introduce himself and ask if there was anything that we needed i mean you know of course Stuart knew more uh, this guy had been there for 10 or 15 years which of uh, you know he knew everything and Stuart like, was on. just to know it all of course yeah. he was had such a monstrous ego so he came in and i remember as soon as he came in the door i thought oh no <laughs> i wanted to run up to him and go run as fast as you can <laughs> you will not find love here no you know Right. We're here against he our will. In all nice. Oh, God. And I could just see Stuart and he's like introducing himself. And we were just all sitting around the table and he just started in on him. He'll start by asking questions. And then he's like, you know, glant, you know, because he wants to go at him with everything he knows in the Bible and what he, you know, and just the guy finally just left and he knew I was uncomfortable and he, and he just point blank at me and he's like, okay, mother. Are you going to mother him? To you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I, I was probably sweating. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's hot in Haiti, but it wasn't right. from that. So I just, you know, that was the end of that. And I just went on and acted like everything was fine. And I thought, oh, I can't wait to get out of here. I remember you talking a lot about that throughout my life mm -hmm. and really having a good experience, at least being of service right. to those people. Right. But then interestingly, that's also when you decided... I'm out of this group. Yes, after after I came back. All this good you're doing and everything else, he's the problem. We'll pause here for now, but join us for the continuing story on the next episode of Cult Talk. Also, join the listener conversation over on the Cult Talk with Aaron Martin Facebook page. Follow at Cult Talk on Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast from any platform and leave us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. Cult Talk is written and hosted by me, Aaron Martin, and produced by Dan McInerney. See the show notes attached to this episode for all links to resources and social media associated with Cult Talk.